It's a Minnesota morning on the Maverick. Thanks for joining me. My name is Karen Wright. Glad to have you along on this Thursday, November 19th. It's 9 o'clock, and we've got a very special interview starting off right away this morning. We are going to talk with the provost and senior vice president here at Minnesota State University about the COVID and what's happening here on campus as we approach Thanksgiving finals week. Many students will be heading home and there's also a mass testing going on today on campus for faculty, staff, and students. What all that means and what it means now that the governor, Governor Waltz, has dialed back things even more and encouraging people to maybe even stay at college in some cases so they don't go home and infect their their family. So lots of things to talk about this morning. We will have joining us now Dr. Matt Cecil. Good morning, Matt. How are you? Good morning. I'm fine. How are you? Good. Things are changing at such a rapid pace. Uh, we were going to talk earlier in the week, and then I was out because I had to wait for my COVID testing results, and I'm happy to say they were negative. Good. But, uh, you know, on Monday, we were I believe we were going to try and have a conversation, but things have even changed since then. So I guess it worked out okay that we're talking to you today about how things are going on campus. Now, has the level changed? We've been at a yellow level for a long time and there's it's kind of like the the warning system it's what is it it's a yellow and then orange and then red yep. uh, in terms of issues related to how many covid cases where are we at on here on the campus at minnesota state now we're still yellow we are still uh, we, yellow yeah absolutely we haven't uh really had the the uh, percentage or number of infections to be concerned about moving to orange but at the same time because of what's happening around us we started to add a, add a few more sort of mitigation efforts uh, based on that orange level and in fact the Minnesota Department of Health has encouraged all colleges and universities in the state uh, to look at their orange level mitigations and see if some of those make sense so we do, do have a few changes uh, that we've made to the kinds of things that we're asking people to do. Uh, and I can run through those if you want to yeah, well, start. There's so much. I don't know exactly where to start. Well, you know, if anything that's that's new that we aren't familiar with, I'd love sure. to, to know if how things have changed because, I mean, even since yesterday, things have changed for restaurants and, and yep. gyms and things like that. So we've got our own here on campus. What are they? Absolutely. So we, uh, the president announced these yesterday. We, we are, first of all, and I think this is probably the most significant for most folks in our campus community, uh, we are moving all of our flex sync courses. Uh, these are the courses where we have students both in the classroom and uh, attending remotely via Zoom. We've moved, or we're trying to move as quickly as we can, all of those courses to just remote delivery. In other words, students in those flex sync courses should not come to campus for class. Instead, they should tune in via Zoom from wherever they are for those classes. So that's one thing. Uh, we'll have fewer people on campus based on that, and makes a lot of sense when you see what's happening in, in the county and in the region and certainly throughout the state, uh, even the, the whole U.S., uh, to make that kind of a change. Uh, the second thing is we're asking, we're not requiring, but we're asking that people wear their masks outdoors as well as indoors. Uh, we're still requiring that they be wear, uh, worn indoors. People should wear their masks. But when you're outdoors moving around campus, especially if you're moving around campus with a group of people, mm -hmm. uh, we really do encourage you to continue to wear your mask uh, at that time as well. This is really not, you know, based on, on the science of mask wearing. It's more on behavior that the MDH and others have noted on various campuses uh, where we have people who are sort of moving around outdoors 
you know, they're not required to have their masks, so they tend not to, but then they don't necessarily follow social distancing. We'll see groups of people mm-hmm. sort of moving around together, talking to each other, thinking that the outdoors uh, alone protects them, but they need their masks as well in those situations. So that's another thing that we've, we've changed. Uh, we're also having uh, a limitation now, uh, no visitors in the residential parts of our, our, our dorms. Uh, we've allowed visitors during uh, certain hours uh, on our residential floors, uh, but we're going to have to stop that based on, on some of the things that we've seen, uh, in again, in the community and the region. So those are the big changes that we've made. We'll be reducing the number of on-campus events. Uh, we'll have each vice president is sort of looking at their division and trying to come up with ways to have more people work from home. Uh, again, which I think is probably wise when we're seeing the kinds of uh, numbers that we see. We'll have the Blue Earth County number, uh, the the cases per 10,000 this morning that I think will be quite high. Uh, So we've got some things going on that we're just trying to take additional mitigation to keep everybody safe. What are the numbers on campus at this point? Have they increased? Have they stayed stable? Or where are we at? They're pretty stable. Um, We still haven't seen uh, a single case that we know of of on-campus spread of COVID. Today, in fact, our number went down from 56 last week to 34 active cases this week. However, we have uh, nine employees with active cases, and that's by far a high uh, along uh, this whole time. I think the most we've ever had in one week before was two. And I think overall, uh, we've had fewer than 20 employee cases. So having nine at one time, uh, is a bit of a concern. That's part of what, what we're trying to look at with this. But typically, uh, you know, our student active cases have, have remained, you know, since that little spike we had in September, they've been in the anywhere from 7 to 56, uh, and we've stayed in that range. Uh, but we also know that those are sometimes trailing indicators. And the other thing we know, and this is why we're doing the kind of testing we're doing on campus now, we also know that some uh, of our students are asymptomatic carriers, and we want to you know, make sure that we identify those folks as well. If you think about sort of the spread of this disease, uh, when you have people who are asymptomatic carriers, if you can identify them uh, quickly uh, through a surveillance testing like we're doing now, you can really uh, sort of hold down that spread in a way that, that it's much more difficult to do if you're only testing symptomatic people. So that's part of the reason why we're having this testing event here today. But our numbers have stayed you know, fairly uh, steady and fairly low and, and haven't been uh, you know, alarming at any stage, but we want to keep it that way. Matt, we've done a couple testings before here on the campus at Minnesota yep. State, one as, as uh, late as last Thursday. Do we know the results from those here on campus? Uh, what? Yes. Uh, just curious how, how many positivity rate, what's a positivity rate and that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, no, that's been really interesting. So if you remember way back when we had the big testing event in the field house. In September, had, wasn't it? I think it was September. And yeah. We had about a 2% positive rate there. Okay. Uh, so very low. Then we had one two weeks ago where we tested about 400 people. It was a sort of a test run of our on-campus testing uh, that we're going to continue weekly uh, again in the spring. Uh, we had in, at that one, I think it was 11.48%. Mm positives. So the math is, I think it was 45 positives out of 400 tests at that one. So it did go up and it did increase from that 2% to 11. Increased pretty significantly. But then our last one we did Thursday, uh, wasn't it? 
Thurs last yeah. Thursday we had 977 tests returned positive or returned I'm sorry yeah. returned results with only 58 positives. So we were down to six percent at oh. that event. Uh, so you know it kind of goes up and down, but six percent is still not good, uh, especially when you're testing asymptomatic people. So. Today we're hoping to do up to 1,700 tests uh, between noon and 6 in the CSU ballroom. It's open to anybody from the campus community. Uh, if you're asymptomatic, you, you have to do your campus screening tool to come to campus, uh, and then you can just go there, and as long as you haven't eaten or drank anything for 30 minutes, you'll be able to do a quick uh, saliva test and get results probably within 24 to 36 hours. Okay, so that is happening, and you're like you said, you're encouraging people to do it just to see, and it includes students. Is this partly to say, hey, check yourself before if you are going home for Thanksgiving because Thanksgiving week is next week, and and so I'm just curious if that's part of the timing of this. Absolutely. That was that was a big part of the timing for this, uh, but it's also really the start of an ongoing uh, weekly testing that we hope to do. Uh, we started it uh, two weeks ago. We did one last week. We did one this week, or we're doing one this week. We won't be doing it next week because, of course, we're going to remote mm-hmm. delivery after Thanksgiving so that uh, none of our classes will be held on campus uh, starting uh, after the Thanksgiving break for the next two weeks. Uh, we'll be back, though, in the spring uh, in the similar mode that we're in uh, at the beginning of this semester, and we hope to be testing every week there, too, as well. Um, MDH has been amazing. We should all be very grateful to live in a state like Minnesota where the state has ramped up testing in a pretty remarkable way. I mean, they literally built a lab in Oakdale uh, to process tests quickly. We have the Gander Mountain State Testing Facility here in in town that people can go to. And and if if you have symptoms, that's the place to go. Uh, by the way, this, the Gander Mountain site is the way, place to go to get your saliva test. They're free. They will try to process insurance, but if your insurance won't pay, the state will pay. So uh, it literally costs you nothing to get a test there, and we won't be charging students either for their tests uh, on campus. So we have a great opportunity in our state uh, as they continue to ramp up testing ability. It changes kind of, you know, how we handle this situation on our campus in a, in a very helpful and positive way. So congratulations to the state government and MDH. They've done a terrific job. Now, as far as the Thanksgiving break coming up now, normally in a normal year, you'd go away for a week or whatever the number of days is, and then students would come back on campus. That's not yep. happening to the, this year. So do we know, are there going to be a number of students still remaining on campus? I assume probably some international students. Are you yep. encouraging some students not to go home because of the case? Uh, unless, you know, they find their test results or or, uh, that sort of thing? We're encouraging students to do everything to be safe. And if that means not going home because they can't get a test or be sure that they're not infectious, that's that's the smart thing to do. However, you have the opportunity to get a test. So here's your chance. You kind of have to lay low, you know, get a test, and when you get your results, then don't go out and party (laughs) um, because you could get yourself infected again. So you kind of have to, to keep that in mind. Uh, but, you know, try not to, to infect other people. I mean, I think this is, uh, I hope that most people understand that, that you can be an asymptomatic carrier and infect other people, including people you love. Uh, so be careful about that. Uh, and, yeah, we've been trying uh, through this testing to make sure that people have that opportunity. But we, again, we're lucky in Minnesota. We have that opportunity all the time because we have all these testing facilities across the state where you can go really, you know, anytime they're open 
go over there and get a test if you think you need one. Now, when I did my test that was on this this past Monday, I went through the Mayo Clinic, and then the mm-hmm. Mankato Clinic has one as well, and both of those sites are in the uh, Madison East Center. And my yep. goodness, I've never seen more cars either lined up or parked in the parking spots with people waiting. So I know there there's a huge demand, they say, especially on Mondays. Yep. And I never, I did not drive over to Gander Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know what that was. I do know that there is a lot of folks that are concerned out there. But mine turned out to be just a cold, for example. And that's yep. the thing. I had a student uh, who ended up getting the COVID, but she started out like I did with a headache and a runny nose kind of thing. So I think that the, the, the key is you just don't know. No, you don't. And again, I mean, not only do we have a state that's that's really ramped up the ability to test, but we have, you know, leading uh, health uh, in, uh, um, uh, hospitals and clinics like Mayo Clinic Health S- Services and Mankato Clinic who have ramped up their ability in, in remarkable ways as well. So we are, I think, in this community, we're really lucky to have all of these different testing options. If you think you need a test, you can get a test. And, and we strongly encourage that people do that. Uh, and certainly before you go home and, and spend time with family and friends, here's your chance to make sure that everyone, everyone is going to be safe. You know, I know we talked about the number of students on campus. Do you think all students report that, that they are, uh, that they actually have COVID? There might be more because I know my student, this in, for example, didn't know she was supposed to yep. report, for example. So I'm guessing there may be others that there are out there. We just don't know. I'm sure that's true. And then the message that we want to send to students is, you know, don't be afraid uh, to to let the campus know that you have a positive test. You're not going to get in trouble. Uh, you're not. There's not going to be any any implications for you, except you're going to get care and the services that you need, and we're going to help you to continue to progress towards your goals. Uh, you're helping us out when you let us know. We're not interested in, you know, like some campuses have punished students for going to parties and things like that. That will never happen here. That's not how we view this. Uh, if you get sick, we're worried about you being well. Uh, if we're mad at anything, we're mad at the virus. Uh, we're not mad at you. So please, please do call our hotline uh, or, or notify someone in student health services if you have a positive test. That just helps us to make sure that everybody here remains as safe as possible. So I think there's no doubt. And in fact, that's part of why we're doing this testing on campus. Uh, is that we think there are cases or there are asymptomatic carriers or people who just feel like they may have a, a slight cold. Mm-hmm. You know, with especially younger people, they don't often see the kind of illness that we're seeing in older folks. So we want to make sure that we're able to identify those, sort of cut off that transmission before it happens, but also provide the services to people that they need so that they can continue on their way and 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 be successful here on our campus. I'm really glad you said that because I think there are probably some students that think They'll, they'll get in trouble, especially maybe if they did feel sick and they went and did something that all of a sudden they're going to get in trouble. So the fact is, just let us know because we need to know so we can protect others as well. So that's a great yep. message. Thank you for, for talking about that. Absolutely. Okay, the other thing, we had a bunch of beds set aside for people who are COVID positive. I, I want to say I heard the number 97 at one point. Yep. Have they that's ever right. been filled to capacity? I'm thinking not because I haven't heard that, but... Nope. What what's right. kind of been the the uh, case in terms sure, of numbers? Sure, right now we have 22 of oh, those you do? beds full. Oh, so 22 of the 97 do have uh, students isolated or quarantined in them. Um, we do let some students though quarantine where they are, 
again because uh, at times or isolate where they are at times it's 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 just easier when both students in a for example in a room uh, are able to do that we we have allowed it so we have actually totally 28 students currently in in quarantine or isolation but only 22 of them are in those designated isolation quarantine beds. How does that work in the residence hall? Because if you've got people even in their room, there obviously there's other people in the halls and that sort yep. of thing. So how, how do you deal with that? So typically, if they have a positive test, we're going to get them into one of those 22 of 97 beds. Mm, okay. If they've just had contact with somebody and are waiting for a test result or something like that, that's when we keep them in place. Okay, I got you. So yep. Uh, how about uh, in terms of the the financial impact of this? Are there students saying, "Well, if I, you know, have to distance learn, I don't need to be staying on campus, so I want my money back"? I know that was an issue in the spring. Yep. What are we hearing now this fall, or how have things changed for that? Yeah, we have seen some students who have decided to to continue distance learning from other places. Fewer than you'd think, though. Uh, keep in mind that these are. We have 18 to 22-year-olds here. They're, they're not always that interested in moving back in with their parents, <laughs> for one thing. Uh, but also, you know, many of them live off campus and have jobs here in the community, so they're still around. Uh, and for those on-campus students, you know, you know it, it, it's just convenient uh, for many of them. So we've seen some of that. We'll see some more of that in the spring. We've been very accommodating when people have made those requests. We certainly understand in this situation, and, and we've been uh, granting those refunds. I would add that you know having the last two weeks of, of classes be remote means we are doing refunds for those as well, and it's it's more than a million dollars that oh, wow. we're returning to students for that. So, we're, we're you know the whole point of this and the whole idea here is that we want to keep our students progressing towards their goals. If they believe that can be best uh, accomplished from somewhere else, we want to we want to facilitate that. You know, we're all trying to get through this thing, and we will. Uh, and at some point, we'll be in a situation where students can come back to our campus uh, and have that experience that they really want. What's important is that they, they continue with their classes, continue progressing towards their goals so that they don't set themselves back. I know distance learning can be a challenge for, for many, many students. And I'm just curious, how are people adapting in terms of faculty and students? Uh, I know my children have chose to distance learn for high school, their high school and middle school, and uh, the first sem- semester was very, very difficult, and uh, it's, it takes a lot to adapt to and a lot of discipline. Are there students who maybe are failing because of this change in methodology? You know, we're doing our best to help students be successful, but I'm sure there are students who are struggling. This is not, you know, the best way to learn for everybody, and that's why we've tried to provide this FlexSync option so it's a, at least a little more normal than just uh, having fully online courses. But, you know, we're trying to work with students every way we can to help them get the right skill set. Now, I I would argue, by the way, this is a pretty important skill set to have looking forward. You know, I think Mm -hmm. that that this whole pandemic situation and people becoming more accustomed to remote work, to remote learning, I I, I don't think that's going to go all the way back the way it was before. Uh, So it's a good set of skills to have going forward, and we're trying to help people have them. Faculty, same deal. Uh, It's been a challenge for many faculty, and I know our faculty are working their tails off to do the best job they possibly can here. But I also know that this is exhausting for them, and that's one of the things that, that we need people to understand is that when our faculty are teaching a course like a FlexSync course, 
they're teaching in, in a way that they understand, but they're teaching two separate audiences in two different places. Uh, it's almost like teaching two courses at the same time. So our faculty are, are really, really worn out. Uh, I'm so glad that we're able to move to remote delivery and then get this you know, holiday break for our faculty. It's really important. They're, they're working so hard and we're so grateful to them. Uh, but this is, this, is, this is really tough stuff and it's really been exhausting for faculty along the way. When does spring break, uh, or spring break, I should say, the winter break, when does that end and when does the new spring uh, session start? So I think the, I want to say the first date is the second week of January, January 11th, somewhere in there. I'm not sure. I don't have the, the date in my head, but that's, it's roughly in there. Uh, uh, January 11th, January 18th, I can check it. But the, the key thing here is that we're, we're looking at all different ways to sort of transition back. That's what uh, I was going to ask you. How, yep. how is that going to be safe? Because now everybody's in their own communities, yep. back home, maybe they're in a hot spot, who knows? Yeah, we're investigating lots of different options, everything from uh, testing everybody when they come back to uh, some combination of testing and remote delivery for those first two weeks to, you know, who knows. Uh, there's a whole variety of options we're exploring right now. We're exploring them quickly, uh, and we should be able to, to have a clear answer for folks pretty soon. But the point is that, that just everybody just rolling back into town uh, and doing what they do is not necessarily going to be the smartest way to do that. And we want to make sure that we have all our options clear, uh, whether it's from, from testing or, or sort of a transition in, in from remote into uh, in-person delivery. So we'll have something on that soon. There are a whole bunch of people working really hard to figure that out. Uh, there's a, actually an MDH uh, call here in a few minutes that I'll be on, and then there's a system call at 4 o'clock. Uh, hopefully it'll give us a little more guidance in those areas too. But my expectation is there will be some combination of testing involved uh, when people come back. Minnesota State University Mankato is a part of the Minnesota State system. Are there going to be any changes system-wide that we will be a part of, or are, are individual campuses doing a little bit of their own? Yeah, they've, they've, we started off, remember, back way back in March when we were talking, and we were really relying on the system for mm-hmm. guidance at that time. And what I think, wisely, what the system has figured out is that each individual campus context is a little different. And so they've sort of, you know, stepped back a little bit. They help us interpret some of the uh, Minnesota Department of Health and other guidelines that we get. Uh, but they've left a lot of the decision-making, more of it and more of it over time, to us here, uh, which we really appreciate and, and I think is the right way because kind of the overall view of this is if you can mitigate uh, outbreaks sort of as locally as possible, and that goes down to, you know, for example, when we shut down theater for a few weeks here, uh, that that's really the best way rather than some blanket decision that shuts everything down based on some community spread it's really best to use the the you know the information you have to make discrete changes that help you to sort of address that locally and as locally as possible whether it's you know when we're doing things like surveillance testing of all of our student athletes for example they get a test every week and so if it, if they get a test every week and we see a couple of positives let's say in football we don't have to shut down the whole football team. We can pull those two people out because we know the whole team is going to get another test 
you know, in just a few days. It really changes the way you're able to address this. And I think the systems approach has sort of recognized that, and I give them a lot of credit. They've provided really good leadership in this. And now here we are where we can make some, some really localized decisions on how things go. We're hearing that there's a lot of, of spread in athletic teams, and the, with high school, of course, that's going to mean a big change for them. How about college athletics? Uh, mm-hmm. Are we getting a lot of positive cases, or even in theater, other ones where, where people are interacting with each other? Have you had quite a few cases in some of the athletes? Not bad. So since we've done the surveillance testing, in fact, so last Thursday we tested all the student-athletes and had a 2% positive rate among student-athletes, so very low. So again, we're able to pull those couple of cases out and continue activities with everybody else. And then we'll test them all again a week later and a week later. And so this really, when you have like a closed population like that and you can assure that everyone's going to have a test every week, you you can kind of go back to something closer to normal because you're able to control any outbreaks that happen. Uh, Similarly, we're trying to do that with our theater students as well. Uh, So get them a test every week. And then if someone in a cast tests positive, you're able to sort of set them down and, and give them time to recover and continue what you're doing, knowing that everybody's going to have a test again next week. So th- it changes how you how you approach this. Whereas, you know, earlier, uh, at the beginning of the semester, for example, when we had some cases in athletics, we just shut the whole thing down. Right. Because uh, we weren't able to test every week. Well, now we, we are. So that helps us a lot. You know, ideally, we'd get to a point where we can have a strategy to test a certain percentage of our whole campus population. And that would, again, provide us with more flexibility. And we're moving in that direction. Um, And we're moving faster than we thought as well with the number of tests we're able to do thanks to MDH uh, and the state government helping us out. So it's there are some encouraging signs even as we're going through this really difficult time that we're coming up with some tools that can help us to have a, a bit more of a normal experience while we wait for a vaccine. Does the university have to absorb all these costs for tests and all these extra things, or is the state doing something, or is it sort of up in the air, and who knows where it'll fall? So the testing, the state has been providing that. Okay. The te- it's been fantastic. It's changed uh, the sort of the math for us in in really great ways and given us a chance to continue some things that we really think are important to do. Uh, so that's that's really good. But we do have a lot of costs that right. we're, that are piling up here. Uh, our campus is very healthy financially. Uh, we have uh, very healthy um, enrollments, much more so than any other campus in the Minn State system. We're the only one that grew over the course of the fall semester. So we feel really good about our ability to to sort of absorb this, but we are hopeful that at some point uh, some help will come down, whether it's from the federal government or the state government, to try to help cover some of these costs because it's, it you know, there's an end here and, and it's in sight. But we need to make sure that we don't deplete our ability to, to respond after COVID-19 and really take advantage uh, we think a lot of students are going to want to come back to college after COVID-19, and they're going to see the importance of having this credential, uh, certainly in an economy that isn't exactly booming right now. So we want to be ready, uh, and so we can use that help. But thank goodness we're we're still a campus that's that's very financially strong right now. And we have had, as you said, we've had probably the only one in the system that's had an increase in enrollment. What do you attribute to that? Honestly, I think it's it's that we're big enough uh, where people know they're going to get the kinds of safe services that they can expect. And then I think our secret weapon is that we've made it a point 
that we want to know our students better than any other campus. And we have literally called students and spoken to them. We have a group of students right now calling other students and just checking in, giving students that confidence that they know there are people here who've got their backs. And really, that's our that's our approach in general. We, we want students, uh, if you come here, there are going to be people who have your back, who are there to, to, to be there for you when you need them. And I, I honestly think that's the difference for us. Uh, and a whole bunch of really dedicated folks have worked really hard uh, to know our students better and to be in touch with them and help, help them understand that we're thinking about them and we're trying to solve the problems as they raise them to us. We've tried to be really responsive. We're talking with Dr. Matt Cecil, and I know he's got to go very shortly for another call, but I appreciate your time here. What can we expect next? Is it uh, it's finals week now? Mm-hmm. And, coming up. And then coming up, and then it's uh, break. And then, then it's the break. Yeah, our campus will look a little different over the break. I can just talk briefly about that. You know, with the outbreaks that are going on, and plus we won't have students on campus, uh, we'll be working to sort of uh, de-densify our campus even further. That means more of our employees will be working remotely between December 14th and January 4th. Uh, in fact, we, we plan to restrict access to the campus for the public, except for the student union, the library, and Wigley administration. Uh, so the idea is that we'll get you know as many employees as we can working remotely during that period of time. We'll still have services available to students in those three areas, uh, but by you know controlling those three areas, we're able to be safer. So you'll see a little different approach over the break. I think it's the wise approach given all the things that are going on, and then we'll be ready as of January 4th and beyond to come back to campus, and we'll have our employees back on campus, and we'll be ready for students in the spring. Will it be like it was last spring where the, a lot of the buildings will have limited access? I know like for our yep. building, you had to have a special code or whatever to get in, and so it was very limited to who could even be around. Yep, it will be. In fact, uh, it'll be basically faculty and staff access. They'll be able to access their buildings using their key cards, as they always can. Uh, But really, as far as anybody coming up to campus or our students on campus, it'll be just the library, Wigley, and the student union. Well, I know that that your days never end, and I'm sure you have more Zoom meetings set up. I want to thank you for your time. Any final words for our folks as we head off into finals and Thanksgiving break? Just be careful, uh, you know, take precautions, think about your loved ones and keeping them safe, and then come back in the spring, and we will make sure you continue to progress towards your goals. And no graduation ceremony this this December either? No, there will be a, a virtual ceremony uh, with speeches by the president and I and the deans and student speakers, and then uh, uh, a graduation box as well. And, and of course, nobody's happy about that, but it's... No. For now, the best we can do at some point, I guarantee you we're going to have a great homecoming where we return everybody here and and recognize all these folks for their accomplishments all at once. Thank you, Dr. Matt Cecil, provost here at Minnesota State University. We appreciate your time. My pleasure. Yep, bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, there you go. So uh, a lot of the things have changed, and uh, talking to Dr. Matt Cecil there, and we will be putting this up on our SoundCloud. You can go to KMSU. Uh, website and connect to the SoundCloud there and it'll be Dr. Matt Cecil changes here at Minnesota State as we approach Thanksgiving and the break and uh, things are going to be looking a little little bit different again and that's kind of the the name of the game which has been this 2020 unprecedented changes every day. It is 9 31 and you are listening to a Minnesota Morning on the Map.